everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dead and Married, where we talk your favorite horror movies and maybe some you haven't heard of. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Travis. And today we're talking Tim Burton's 1988 film, Beetlejuice. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, this was only your request, but you know, <laughs> don't say anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to talk about the movie. I don't have to do the intro. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie it's kind of an anomaly right i feel like all tim burton movies are because i feel like because i don't know is this like the second or third one we've covered so far on this show um i think it's just the second because we yeah, did the nightmare before christmas but his films are so easily accessible i feel like or or are they but a lot of us tim burton films are childhood staples for most of us but going back they're so adult themed that it makes it like was it really intended to be family films or is he making adult movies but they're just a little bit more light-hearted uh, i don't know this one kind of lands this in the same category i put like shrek in don't i look wouldn't at me like go that. that far well yeah no because it's it's clearly sort of geared towards kids but all of the jokes that are in it are hopefully will go over the kid's head because they're they're meant for the adults yeah you know but this film's pretty dark too it's like it's like um you know nowadays disney wants to you know wants to plaster nightmare before christmas all over everything and you know you've got all the ornaments and the decor and all that but there was a time when they almost wanted nothing to do with it because it was so dark in tone and just completely opposite of what they were doing and Beetlejuice feels no different, even though it's, you know, a, a film that most of us grew up with. There's a lot of dark subject matter in there, al- along with the adult jokes. Yeah. You know, but nonetheless, I can't imagine a life that I didn't grow up watching this film. And it, and I've only grown to love it more as an adult now that I understand all of those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it grows with you. Yes. <laughs> so since you picked it, mister, why don't you start about your kind of first memories with it? Um, so there were parts of this film that actually scared me because I would have been eight years old. Mm-hmm. somewhere in there when this movie came out and yeah there were parts of it that were kind of scary mm-hmm. as a kid and they're not now obviously but i thought it was hilarious that was the first time i'd ever heard somebody say fuck in a movie right um and i am i loved impersonating that i'm so surprised that your parents actually watched it they did not know that was in there <laughs> yeah they were all in on the movie because it was michael keaton and mom had a thing for michael keaton. right um but yeah, right up to nice fucking model. And then <laughs> it was it was probably just okay. No, I have I really I enjoyed this movie as a kid. I thought it I don't know. You got bright colors and some funny stuff and Wow. What? You just made it sound yeah. <laughs> there's bright colors and things. Yeah. Well, you're asking for first impressions. I, I, I was a kid, like little. Like I was younger than Isabel. Yeah. I don't remember. I just remember liking the movie. Movie good. That's, my, that's what I got. Well, my experience, I guess, is is pretty much the same. I remember watching it and and actually, yeah, having some things kind of be a little bit scary, but also my brother walking around saying "nice fucking model" and honk honking himself. So yeah, my my first impressions are pretty much the same as yours. Yeah, he still does that too. <laughs> so. Um, I think you already mentioned it. This was uh, directed, written and directed by Tim Burton. Um, 
What I think is funny is that this was his second feature. I guess everything he'd done up to this point was either like TV or it was a short. Um, yeah, this was right off of uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Too bad we can't talk about first, that one, huh? His first feature film. And I don't, he's done absolutely nothing since then. <laughs> nothing. No, that comes nothing anywhere of close <laughs> to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Because, I mean, he followed this up with Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, um, Ed Wood, which it's a damn shame we can't cover that one because that movie is pretty great. Um, everything after that has been horror, more or less. Uh, yeah. Except for Big Fish, which was just weird, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where Johnny Depp's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, no. Um, so, it, like I said, stars Michael Keaton, who is always good, although I don't know that I've ever seen him in another film being this way um at least not i don't know i think he he's he always kind of got that quirky thing about him yeah but i I don't know i don't know this this one felt different because when i think michael keaton i usually think this movie or batman Mm -hmm. and those two characters couldn't be more different really see i don't know i i don't necessarily feel that way i feel like like i said again he's kind of a quirky actor so i there's always something behind the eyes with him that like something's just off a little bit like even going to more recent things where he's like the vulture or something like he still well didn't you say there's one called pacific heights or something like that Uh that he's in where they said he's scary yeah yeah it's on my watch watch list yeah for sure but you know no matter what he's in you just see that little thing behind his eyes that says want to get nuts (laughs) yeah yeah he gives off almost a jack nicholson vibe sort of yeah because you every time you see jack nicholson you think i bet he's eating someone think michael keaton's eaten anyone no, come on no but i mean i don't know <laughs> that they, i know of. <laughs> they, just, they both do crazy really well yeah yeah definitely um Oh, but there are other people in this film. Yes, other there than, is. <laughs> other than Michael Keaton. Um, Alec Baldwin is in this. He plays Adam and Gina Davis plays Barbara. They're a married couple. Obviously, Michael Keaton plays Beetlejuice. Um, let's see. Winona Ryder Winona plays Lydia. Ryder. Like, <laughs> do you need me to do this? Yeah, you do need to do this. <laughs> Catherine O'Hara plays Delia. Um, and I love Catherine O'Hara. She's yeah, good was, in everything. I was going to say, be still my heart. She's definitely a character actor yeah. or actress, uh, but she's good in mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, she's good when she's just a voice. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey Jones plays Charles. And I didn't look at the guy's filmography, but I've seen him in a million things. Yes. And then obviously Winona Ryder plays Lydia. Glenn Shaddix is Otho. And I think he's the guy that did the voice for the mayor in Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. I think it's the same guy. Huh. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I could have done some work and looked that shit up and I just didn't, <laughs> but I, I think I remember that. Uh, music, and I know we'll talk about this later, was dun dun dun. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Danny are, Elfman. I was going to say, are you shitting me? Am I have to beat you with a shoe? Well, <laughs> suddenly my brain remembered it when you gave me that look. <laughs> like, don't fuck this up. It's Danny Elfman. <laughs> So anyway, that's cast and crew. So this film is actually rated more highly than I would have expected. Probably not higher than you would have expected, but being the kind of movie that it is, really thought that critics would sort of shit on it. But it's a seven and a half out of 10 on IMDb and 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. I still can't understand why you think critics would shit on it. I think it's mostly because it's not an Oscar bait movie. It's fun. 
You can give me that look all you want. I Typically, critics review movies that are so fucking boring and they say that they're great. Well, here's the thing. All the films that we have talked about the critics have shit on have kind of been rightfully shit on. We're, we're talking about cheaty, cheat, cheaty, cheesy 80 schlock. <laughs> Th that's not the genre that we're going to get critical acclaim on. Well, no. But this one, it was wildly imaginative. It had some great performances. It had actors you had actually heard of. So... I'm not surprised. And it was fun. So I'm not surprised at all that this one was well received. Okay. So. Yeah. I don't know. It was just higher than I thought it would be. I really figured it would be like in the 60s or something. Mm. Like not one of the ones with the splat tomato, but just barely fresh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So story. How do you feel about the story? That good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good you're at a loss for words. Fine. I'll go first. <laughs> So I think it's a it's a unique story, um, sort of on the back end. I've never seen anything like this before. I think they've come up with, there have been other films since then where it's like, there's a ghost that's trying to help or do a thing or whatever. Um, and they've kind of leaned into comedy. But this was the first thing I'd ever seen like this. And you've got your two main characters, played by uh, Baldwin and Davis, and they're very vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, sweet couple. And I think that's all they were going for was just a nice sort of suburban, boring, <laughs> I build models in my attic couple. And yeah, and it's just, it's just that nice, sweet kind of, you, you get the feeling like maybe they're newlyweds or something like, like. Yeah, they're just they're just sweet, very like you said, very vanilla and they're very Hallmark channel. Yeah, yeah. And everything is just going so perfectly that it's almost like you have the feeling immediately that something bad is going to happen to them because it's just too perfect. Like the biggest problem that they have going on in their life is that one of their friends is desperate to sell the house that they live in. Yeah. Because they don't have any children. Right. And it's not that they can't have any children. In it. So they just haven't had any luck yet. Yeah. And yeah, so they, they don't. Yeah, it's pretty that they, they got. Ugh, I can't talk. Well, I think it's just because <laughs> they were spending too much time just being sweet and they should have been getting down to business. <laughs> but <laughs> but honestly, at this point, Gina Davis had already had uh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so, you know, Michael Keaton or not Michael Keaton. Baldwin, <laughs> Baldwin was just sort of a runner up. Oh, but, my God. <laughs> what? Anyway, yeah, they kind of had to go because only the good die young. And But honestly, it wasn't their fault. They were murdered by a dog. They were murdered by a dog. That, that dog was a bastard. That dog took out Tupac. That dog killed Biggie. <laughs> yeah, when he was holding that car up, he said, fuck them hoes, and dropped him in the water. And then he went to make sure that he finished the job. He did. He had to follow up. <laughs> He looked down and was like, that's right, bitches. Yeah, so they go back and they realize that something's not right, only to find out that they're dead. You know what's funny is that she they went in and there's a fire in the fireplace that they did not leave there. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the first sign that something was wrong. She sets her fingertips on fire and then they're like, well, maybe we should look around a little bit. What's wrong with these people? What do you mean? I Like... Immediately, it seems like they would have been like, all right, this is something, something's been fucked up. <laughs> something's amiss. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was, 
it was a little too much. But anyway, story-wise, because we're not doing the whole thing. Here, right. Um, that's kind of where the, the sweet stuff sort of ends. The Hallmark mm-hmm. movie's kind of over. Um, I like it that they sort of explore what it's like to be a ghost. The mm-hmm. afterlife, like they have a waiting room. It's like going to the to the DMV. Yeah, I was um, going to say that I, I, I like that there's some lore here. Like, it's kind of like uh, the Scarlet Gospels, if you ever read that. Like, there's, there's like, everybody has a function after you die, almost. Which, the notion of that I thought was really interesting, but at the same time terrifying. Because if I have to work my entire life and then die, only have to work all of my death, like, that's, that's scary. I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, but he the there was a there was a line where he said that people who commit suicide are the ones who end up to be civil servants. And I'm going, okay. So where where's all the other dead people? What do they do? <laughs> right. And I never explored that. But there was there was just some really interesting stuff about how yeah how everybody basically performs a job. Everybody has their place. Well, there's just there's a whole other world mm-hmm. on the other side, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, they're ghosts with jobs. And, and even the dead can die again. That yeah. was kind of a weird thing, too. Yeah, I thought that was a little interesting. But I just like it that they gave it a backstory. And I like it that they had characters, actual characters mm-hmm. uh, with personalities. And you don't spend much time with a lot of them, but you kind of get to know them just a little bit. Particularly their caseworker. Mm-hmm. She's great. She's great in this movie. <laughs> you know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of uh, the lady, not I say lady, the monster lady in Monster. Monsters Inc. You know the Mike Wazowski. Yes. Ah, ah, ah. That's you, who she reminds you me. You do of. that so well. I know. I've heard. Um, but yeah, that's that's who she kind of reminds me of. She's like, no nonsense. I'm here to do a job. Everybody else better fucking do their job too, and they better do it correctly. Right. So yeah, I thought she was great. Um, but nonetheless, I think a couple of months goes by, and now you have the Dietzes trying to. Well, not trying to. They're moving into their house. Right. And the Maitlands don't want them to move into their house, namely because this is a kind of yuppie couple that... Well, they're from the city. Yeah. I don't know that it ever says what city. A I, New York. I assume New York. Yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure they said New York. Yeah. But they basically want to come in and change everything about their house. And so the Maitlands are kind of on this desperate quest to get them out of their house to no avail. And so they start trying to, well, they start getting... Getting these little hints dropped at them inside their little miniature town model of this little person trying to well, get their attention. Yeah, but before that, it seemed like for those couple of months, they had just been sort of going about their lives inside right. the house. Mm-hmm. And their only frustration was that she couldn't dust. Davis's is her, her issue with uh-huh. that I can't dust. Uh-huh. Um, and because the and she can't vacuum because the vacuum cleaner's in the garage, but they can't go in the garage. Like they were just continuing on with normal life until these people start moving in. And then they realized like, okay, so now we have to learn how to be a ghost. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. That was something I hadn't seen explored before. Right. Like, that it was a skill that you need to learn. <laughs> and they're bad at it. Yeah. They're horrible at it. And I think that's the funny part too. But at the same time, there are a couple of things that they do that are pretty great and actually kind of creepy. Well, that's some of, some of the stuff they did, like when they manipulate their faces, stuff that kind of creeped me out when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, and like when she's hanging in the closet. Right. And, and she then takes rips her, her face off. Her face off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and her but, eyeballs bulge at her head. Yeah, that as a was little, some creepy as shit. A little kid i was like oh that's yeah but But the problem lies with the fact that the living cannot see them except 
for Lydia for some reason. Because, what is it? Because she herself is strange and unusual? Could be. But, I mean, they, they explain it. But nonetheless, Lydia can see them. We're Delia and whatever the husband's name is. Nobody remembers the husband's name. Thanks. <laughs> also true. <laughs> they can't see them for whatever reason. But they decide that they need to go to more extreme lengths to get them out of their house. And they take the aid of, quote, bio-exorcist Beetlejuice. Right. And what are you rolling your eyes at me for? Like, Nothing. I missed something entirely. I just thought we weren't entirely. doing a whole, like, beat by we're beat. We're not, but we're just kind of giving the... Yeah. The, the, the short version of yeah. the story. And pretty much from there, all chaos ensues. But I like it that they introduce Beetlejuice as a character where, like, the ghosts can't do it, so they have to ask for help. Yes. And, and he is very much... Um, that guy that nobody wants to talk to, right? Because he's a little too much. Uh-huh. And their caseworker's like, no, 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 no. He's bad news. You don't want to deal with he him. He doesn't play well with others. He is like absolutely the world's worst used car salesman. And But Michael Keaton does a fantastic job of playing that character. Right. I mean, we'll talk about the actor yes, later. Yes, we but, will. But uh, I found that whole thing really interesting. And I thought that how he kind of goes about it was pretty great. Um, they did change part of the story because I guess in order for him to come back and stay back, he has to get married. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to marry Lydia. But I mm-hmm. think originally that was written as that he was just trying to get with Lydia, mm-hmm. which was fine until they think about the fact that she's like 14. I don't know that they ever say how no, old but she's she is. definitely a minor. Yes, yes, and then, obviously. And then they, they went back on the story and they're like, maybe that's too much. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> um, Even getting married to Lydia is still a bit much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still a lot. Uh, but way better than what they had planned before. Um, where there was a lot of rape involved. Not, oh my gosh. That was his whole goal. Like it didn't show it and he didn't do it, but like that was his whole thing was he had to bang her to stay. Oh, okay. And so it just got rewritten into a arranged I'm, marriage kind of deal. glad. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. So it was a little much, um, yeah. but I don't know. I'd never seen anything like that before. I haven't seen anything like that since. I feel like the story was really original mm-hmm. and I think it was well executed and I, I like it. You get a satisfying ending. I think so. Yeah. In this film. Because I think a lot of ghost stories, they're either kind of bleak. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we don't watch a lot of the paranormal stuff, but the ones, like, if you think about like paranormal activity, it's a, it's sort of a, a bleak ending. So mm-hmm. is Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the few that I can think of that deals with paranormal, that it it's upbeat. It ends with dancing. I mean, shit. Yeah. So. But you, you have this character of Lydia who kind of for all intents and purposes is ignored by her family because her, her stepmother is preoccupied with making their new home into her image and her dad who basically just wants to do nothing he just wants to relax and i'm guessing he's retiring maybe and he's just kind of in that phase of his life where he wants to do jack shit all day except for bird watch and spy on people with his binoculars yeah well they were they're trying to get out of the city and i kind of got that impression too that he was sort of done with his working life Mm -hmm. um but yeah and it never really discusses um lydia's mom like her actual mom Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was odd that they never touched on that. And so this is kind of maybe one of the only issues I have with the story is I do feel like at one point it gets rushed just a little bit because when the Maitlands meet Lydia, she's kind of sarcastic to them and kind of pokes fun at them, but they never really have like the sit down, get to know each other type of relationship. And they go from kind of this little jabbing each other back and forth to now the Maitlands 
Jones want to coexist with this family because they don't want to leave Lydia. She almost becomes a daughter to them. And I thought there was such a huge jump from one extreme to the other. That, they, that was the only issue I had. Did they just become best friends? I, I guess. But that yeah, that was the only problem that I had. It, it's, it's very minor. It just seemed like at one point it does feel a little bit rushed there at the end. But but otherwise, I think the story's terrific. No, I, I agree with you there. I feel like there could have been a little bit more development of that relationship mm-hmm. between the Maitlands and Lydia. Because they did very much do a stepbrothers kind of thing. Right. You know, went from balls on a drum set to needing more room for activities. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and we never really get any interactions with the Maitlands and the Dietzes other than just trying to scare the shit out of them through the entire movie. And then all of a sudden, they're just one big happy family at the end. And then my big question was, okay, so are the Maitlands more or less Lydia's parents now and her actual parents are just kind of in the background? Or is this all kind of a Brady Bunch scenario? So I would have just liked a little bit more explanation on that, I guess. Because when me and Isabel watched it together, that was her question. She's like, are they her parents now? Like, what happened to her parents? (laughs) And I'm like, well, they're there, but you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end, when you get the Lydia dancing and singing or whatever mm-hmm. um her, her the the Dietzes are not even in the same room no she goes in the Maitlands talk to her about school and then when she starts singing the Dietzes hear the music and like well, I guess she did a good on math well test. see that's the thing we when we start off the film the Maitlands are up in the attic and the Dietzes are downstairs and when we end the movie the Maitlands are downstairs turning the house back into their house and the Dietzes are upstairs so it's just kind of weird yeah. how that happened yeah it's almost like they just turned, they, they relinquished custody or something <laughs> yeah. of both the house and the child. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember um, watching the cartoon because there was a cartoon spinoff of this that I grew up with. And I don't actually remember the Maitlands in it at all. If or I, the Dietzes. Really, yeah. Really. I remember her dad primarily. I don't remember stepmom being there, but I do remember her dad being a character yeah, that, in the cartoon. But the cartoon was centered around Lydia and Beetlejuice. Yes. Yeah. Which is kind of weird when you think about the direction the movie was going. (laughs) Even even them getting married and those two are just hanging out together, best friends now. (laughs) It's weird. So let's talk about the real star of the film here. That being the special effects. I I don't even know where to begin with this. You know, we we've talked about Tim Burton a fair amount in you know in the show, and this was another one that I just felt like was a tour de force as far as visuals go. It was a lot of stuff that I had not seen up until this point when I was a kid. There's, I feel like there's a lot of imagery that we hadn't seen up to that point and, and haven't really seen since. Yes, Tim Burton has gone on to do a lot more things since then, but there was just something about this that just felt so new and so innovative that certain images from the film, I feel like, will stick with you forever. Like, like Beetlejuice turning into the big snake stair banister monster right. you know i mean yeah it, it's stop motion or whatever and he of course he would go on to do a lot more stop motion later with you know his animated films but this was something that you looked at and you're like holy shit that's terrifying you know and not just that and you know there's various little creatures and artwork and i mean down to delia's art you know and just the aesthetic of the home and all all kinds of shit that it i just felt like had 
hadn't been seen before. So I, yeah, this movie is just, it's so balls to the wall trippy. So the thing that, that I guess uh, interests me really about this is that if you look through the special effects people, it's not the big names that we typically see. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And maybe it's just because this is not a gore type of movie. It's not blood and guts and all that stuff. I mean, in fact, I would call this a horror movie, even though not one person, well, two people die, mm-hmm. right? But you don't see it. <laughs> I mean, you just see the dog bloating. I still count it as a kill. Okay, so there's two kills, <laughs> but they're not typical of what we would see in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is still special effects driven, even though it's not like K&B or, any, or Tom Savini. It's not those people we've heard of. So the special effects team that worked in the, the art department, everybody who, who contributed to the aesthetic of this film, executed Tim Burton's vision perfectly. Perfectly, yeah. Um, it was, what would what would Gordon Ramsay say? Stunning. <laughs> <laughs> they, it was a stunning execution. And I don't know. I don't, I don't have enough good things to really say about it. Mm-hmm. And I realize that a lot of people don't like claymation or anything like that, but it works in this film. I feel like that Tim Burton's, his style maybe, mm-hmm. sort of lends itself to the claymation or the stop motion sort of thing it just it works it might not work with somebody else but like the color palettes that he uses and the type of things that he does I feel like the stop motion works for his style Mm -hmm. where it wouldn't probably work for someone else right but yeah the execution from on all the effects were absolutely great so what about acting Mm, do we just talk about Michael Keaton for 20 minutes (laughs) I was gonna say I don't know how much you can really talk about some of the side characters because I more or less feel like this is Michael Keaton's movie. However... I feel like I feel like when people talk about this movie, they talk Michael Keaton and they talk Winona Ryder. But I do want to say that I think Catherine O'Hara is like the unsung hero of this movie. And I think it's just because she gives such a dry, serious delivery to her performance that it makes it overwhelmingly funny, even when she's not trying to be funny. She's kind of got like this nervous, manic energy like maybe she's hopped up on too many pills and is gonna crack at any minute and I, I was having a conversation with Isabel the other day and I said I feel like all little goth girls when they want to be Lydia when they first see the movie I said but when you get to my age you completely identify with Delia and I was telling Travis I was like every guy I feel like every regular guy and well okay maybe not every regular guy <laughs> usually ends up with with some kind of weird, kooky, goth girl, or at least Travis did anyway. And so I just kind of love that energy. It, it That couple, the, the Dietzes actually remind me of me and Travis a little bit, where he's just kind of, like I said, in that phase of his life where he just wants to relax and not worry about anything. And she just wants this house to be her vision, which is where I'm currently at in life right now. And um, there's, just, there's so many things that she says and does that I'm like oh my god that is me even up to her when when the Maitlands are in their ghost sheets and they're trying to to moan and scare and she can't even be bothered she just sits up with her eyes closed and is trying to turn off the TV I just I, I think everything she does is so understated and yet just perfect and and even down to her 
being possessed and singing at the dinner table is is just per- her comedic timing is perfection. I, I really think that she's an underrated actress. Yeah, looking at her filmography, she's got 114 acting credits, which I would have never guessed. But she's almost always uh, a side character, background character. Um, she does a lot of voice work, looks like, and a lot of TV. But yeah, I agree. I feel like she's she is a much better actress than she has been cast. <laughs> she, mm, I don't know if it's that we it's that what she's been cast so much as we've just not seen enough of her work. Yeah, or maybe those are just the type of roles that she chooses. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she's fantastic. Yeah, and Winona Ryder, I'm not sure if this is her first acting credit or not, but I feel like she kind of captured that, that mood that every teenage girl or at least every kind of gothic teenage girl goes through of just, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to explain that state of mind of just kind of already being world-weary and you know moody well she would have been like 17 Mm -hmm. when this was shot so Mm -hmm. still kind of that she was in that teenage phase yeah i mean i I remember uh, being that way uh our my oh gosh isabel's only nine and she's already that way and um i i thought she captured that perfectly but again i don't feel like she really terribly did a lot you know other than kind of just move the maitlands on to where they needed to be i guess she was more of a, a plot device to forward the story. Yeah, I think so. Um, she was sort of the encouragement. She was the encouragement that they needed to move on so that someone could see and recognize them um, in their afterlife. And then they needed a reason to bring Beetlejuice out. Mm-hmm. She was sort of his motivation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it was it was a decent role. This was her third film. So, uh, oh, it's not bad. Not bad. She she did. She did fine. Um, but admittedly, they didn't really give her a lot to do mm-hmm. other than just be that character that moves the other characters around. Mm-hmm. So, um, what about the other characters, like the dad? Same thing. I don't really feel like he's, he was given a lot to do other than um, he's just, once he figures out that there are ghosts in his house, he's determined to turn this into a sideshow attraction type thing, uh, a, a tour destination to make money off of. Basically, he wants to exploit the Maitlands. But uh, Catherine O'Hara, her character wanted to as well. Right. Because some art critic or something like that that she was trying to get in good with or the some magazine i guess his wife was big into the paranormal and that's what brought them to the dinner table scene right um with all the singing but yeah they both immediately tried to take advantage of it mm-hmm. because you get i mean she's an artist so you get that maybe you get the impression that maybe her art's not selling or it's not doing so well people don't really seem to like it and admittedly it's kind of really weird stuff and you're not sure what function it's supposed to serve but being me I actually think her artwork's really cool and once they make all the changes to the house that they do I actually really like it too all of her artwork looks like it was made by Tim Burton yes (laughs) so I like it just fine And then Otho's kind of like, like, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to jump to conclusions or make assumptions, but he kind of seems like her gay friend. And he's, a, I guess, an interior designer. And he's kind of going through with her, basically telling her what she needs to do. But then again, once we find out there's ghosts in the house, well, then all of a sudden, you know, he says that he has some, some expertise in this arena. And he's basically going to do what he can to help draw them out. Well, Otho, during, throughout the course of the movie, he, he talks about several things that he has dabbled in prior to becoming an interior decorator. Like he was a hair color mm-hmm. something or other. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, he's a shaman or some <laughs> bullshit like that and a medium. Uh-huh. And yeah, he can do the seances and all that stuff. I, I feel like he did a great, the actor did a good job in this film because he, he really makes Otho unlikable. Yes, he really, really does. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I guess I have a thing. Of, like if an actor or an actress can make you have an emotion about the character they're playing, they must be doing a good job. Right. I know I've brought this up before, but like the little kid that played King Joffrey in Game of Thrones, like I really wanted to see that kid die. He must be a great actor. <laughs> because <laughs> I really hated that character. <laughs> so let's move on to who we're actually here to talk about then. Okay, let's talk about Michael Keaton. Yes. We're like, let's talk about Michael Keaton. Like, what do you say about that performance? Except, goddamn. He took it to 11. He took it to 11,000. Maybe 12. <laughs> because I don't know that I've ever sat through this film and not fully belly laughed, no matter how many times I've seen it. It, it doesn't matter. And it can be the smallest minor thing that he does, but it will crack me up. So Michael Keaton's an interesting actor to me because you, you get his more his straight characters like when he does Batman and he is very um, serious and plays it very straight mm -hmm. and he does the crazy thing really well. Mm -hmm. And then the opposite side of that coin is when he's Beetlejuice and his comedic timing is amazing. I know it's I know that he's he's done more than more than one comedic role. But to me, this one takes the cake of any one that every single one that he's ever done. Well, see, I think for me is I always compare these two movies back. Batman and Beetlejuice because they were done so close together. Right. Mm -hmm. They're only like two years apart. Mm hmm. And you watch one and you watch the other and you go, God, is that, how can that even be the same guy? Right. Because he just shifts gears. He committed to this part fully. And for a, a uh, would you say he's an A-list actor? Yeah. Or at least in the 80s he was for yeah, sure. Yeah, Um, To commit to a part like this. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. Yeah, I think that's why whenever he was announced as Batman, there were so many people that were like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, like it was a, it was a controversial, uh, it was controversial to give him that role at the time. And. And I can, if it's purely based off of this role, I kind of get that just a little bit. But, you know, people did the same thing when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker. And sometimes it's those people that you don't expect that are going to turn in the most iconic performances because they're so well-rounded and masters of their craft that, yeah, sometimes they can turn in something that is absolutely just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess leading up to this, comedy is really what he had done mm -hmm. but I'm not familiar with it like he did he did Mr. Mom right mm -hmm. a few years before this in a movie called Gung Ho um, The Squeeze and then right before Batman he did The Dream Team which is a movie that I've been trying to get you to watch mm -hmm. um, which is a that's sort of it's a drama but it's sort of a combination funny and and serious film so I mean I can see where some eyebrows were raised mm -hmm. not to speak of his eyebrows um, <laughs> but I don't I don't have enough good things to say about Michael Keaton I have loved him in everything I I've ever seen him in. Right. I remember whenever um, you had asked me once who my favorite Batman was, and I think I had said Christian Bale, which I still stand by that. Um, you had, you were like, what? Like, how can you not choose Michael Keaton? And now, yes, I under completely understand why you had that reaction. He's just, 
just he's just a terrific actor and and he's another one that I still don't think he gets his due like I know that everybody panned the new Flash movie whether or not it's because the movie was bad or not or because of all the controversy surrounding Ezra Miller there to me the bright spot in that film was Michael Keaton and I was so fucking happy to see him in that part again because Batman was such a huge part of my childhood as was Beetlejuice so you know he had had these other roles right but it it just hit different to see him return to that role in particular you know and the fact that we're going to get a Beetlejuice sequel here in the near future it's another one like does it need to be done probably not am I still excited for it anyway just because it's him playing the role you bet your sweet ass (laughs) I'm interested to see what a oh Jesus nearly 40 years older Michael Keaton brings to the table yes in that role yeah Um, because after all that time he has he's only probably had to get better at what he does right even he's not in a he's not in I guess he's in a lot of stuff it's just not stuff that we see Mm -hmm. Um, but he's he's just not one of those actors that seems to be working all the time you know he's just constantly in your face Mm -hmm. Um, and he's done he has done quite a bit of voice work and that may be the thing because some of the stuff that he does you're like I didn't know it was him like he was the voice of Chick Hicks in Cars Mm -hmm. the green car Mm -hmm. I had no clue that that was him Um, but he did some of the Toy Story movies and he's done some TV and so maybe that's it you just don't he's not an in your face kind of actor but I'm I'm excited to see it anyway it's just to me I don't yes there are a lot of iconic scenes from the movie and not all of them have to do with something Beetlejuice necessarily did but I don't know that this movie would be what it is without his performance yeah if, if it were anybody else in the role I don't know that it would be the same yeah well he's doing Batman one more time yeah did you know that no I did not yes so he, they're doing Batgirl and uh-huh. he's playing Bruce Wayne okay so all right uh, <laughs> we'll see uh, I don't know but we'll get a little bit more Michael Keaton yeah yeah either way I'm happy about that but anyway so are we done talking about Michael Keaton I guess so okay <laughs> so score and go it, it, I feel like we've said this a hundred times especially when we were talking I mean because we've talked about uh Danny Elfman going all the way back to what episode two of our show doing um Nightbreed uh-huh like I think I think Danny Elfman has been peppered throughout this series and I I've told Travis a hundred times he probably is my favorite composer of all time like I I know there's so many people out there that will say John Williams is their favorite composer right um or James Horner you know any of your any of your big guys Hans Zimmer but Danny Elfman to me has the most iconic stuff in his career than any other composer In my opinion, I'm sure people out there will disagree, but I just, there's too many things out there that when I hear it, I'm automatically transported to a moment in time. And this score is no different. You hear it and you automatically go Beetlejuice. That's it. So that's the thing about Elfman, his music, is that any, anything that he does for a film, it's immediately recognizable for the film Mm -hmm. or vice versa. When he, he ties it to the story so well, um, that uh, I don't want to use that word. 
I'm not going to use that word. Use it <laughs> because it. because you can in this case. That's the thing. I, th- I feel like everything he does is almost iconic yes. of the film that it's related to because it creates an immediate relationship be- between the visual and the audio. You know, when mm-hmm. you see one, you know what the music's supposed to be. When you hear the music, you know what the movie's supposed yes. to be. Yes, when you hear The Simpsons, you know immediately what that is. Right. But even even without the music, if you see Homer Simpson, you know what that music is without hearing it. Like, like for instance, and the the... the the Batman theme, right? Is there a different Batman theme than that one? It was so damn good that Batman the animated series adapted that for their own show. Like it's it's to me it's synonymous with that character. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And I think so don't be wrong, I love the Batman theme. Um it's just epic. It's mm-hmm. an epic sounding mm-hmm. score. But I think for me, the music that he has done for the Tim Burton movies is and I realize Batman was a Tim Burton movie, but I'm talking about the offbeat stuff like Beetlejuice. They're all and offbeat. Edward Scissorhands and that sort of thing. Because it's when he does music in a Tim Burton film it's almost like they're two halves of the same brain because the visual and the music fit together that mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's almost like, like the same person doing both things it's kind of like the way Guillermo del, del Toro and Doug Jones are the same half of one person yes. like they, they go together like peanut butter and like ladies peanut butter and ladies that's right <laughs> lamb and tuna fish <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it just it, that that pairing just always works no matter what. Like he he can set the mood and you're like I said you're just there. You're ju- just transported to that place and this one is no different. Agreed. Agreed. In addition to that, I also like the songs that they picked because it's not yes. all score. Right. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know why they chose. I don't know what genre you would call that. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> And I don't know why it fits this film, but the banana song or whatever it is, (laughs) it's perfect. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say about that. (laughs) We're both sitting here looking at each other. They're just just so happy. Like for for what the film is, like I said, there's some very dark things explored about death and the afterlife that to have these happy, upbeat songs in them, it's just... I think it's because they're such offbeat songs, and this is such an offbeat movie. Yeah. That even though they're completely unrelated, (laughs) Daylight Come and Me One Go Home, Yeah, but they still fit together. And that's the thing, too, is that I don't think you can hear that song anymore and not jump to Catherine O'Hara singing at the table or, you know, a bunch of butts flying in the air, giant shrimp hands flying from the table. Like, it's just... Anytime I hear that song, which was not written for this film, I immediately think of this movie. Yes, yes, absolutely. They have have become inseparable in my brain. And this is, you know, we may go years and years without watching this movie, but someone is always singing that song in this house, no matter what. (laughs) Except for me, I don't sing. (laughs) That's not true. I think it, though. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, that is so not true, because I have known you to, at random, just be like, (laughs) nay! And you know what? Someone always answers. <laughs> yes. Every time. Yes, that's the thing. We we all love it so much that somebody will usually sing along. As a matter of fact, today it was me. I was going through the house and I was singing and Aiden finished the line. Like, yeah. That's just what we do. <laughs> yeah, you can go through the house and go, hey, Mr. Tallyman, and someone's going to go telling me banana. <laughs> yes. It's perfect. All right. 
So normally we do quote, kill, and scene here, but there are only two kills and they happened at the same time. Yes. <laughs> and they died the same way. Yes. So quote and scene. So I think this is another case where we can talk about multiple quotes and multiple scenes just because we don't really have any kills. You okay with that? I'm good with that. Okay, you start. Okay, so first, quote, nice fucking model. Yes. That's great. Um, I, th- I guess it's not really a quote. It's probably more of a scene. Um, but at the end of the film, when the, the witch doctor shrinks his head and he's like, whoa, whoa. whoa! <laughs> this because might I be can, a little good can, look for me. <laughs> I can totally see London going through the house and doing that. <laughs> That's because she, she would. She did walk through the house just going, whoa. Whoa. But in an R2-D2 kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just because she never saw this movie. Um, but that just cracks me up. Scene, it's the dinner scene, hands down. The singing and dancing. Right. I think secretly I'm a fan of musicals. <laughs> it's not a secret anymore. But yeah, I think I think those are the big ones. And there's one, and I think you've picked it too, um, where Catherine O'Hara is just having a meltdown because she's trying to paint the house and she's going through the Otho and then they run into the husband and he's in like his study. Uh-huh. And he's like telling him she can't do it. And she's like, if you don't let me do this, I'm going to go crazy and... I'm, I'm going to take you I'm with I'm going to burn it down and take all of you with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she I'm going to go crazy and I'm going to take you with me. Yeah, she just goes to a whole different place. Yes, I I fully, fully related to that scene. <laughs> and and I, I love that. Um, I guess the other scene is when they first meet their caseworker. Uh-huh. And she's got, what is that, a tracheotomy? She's got the, the pipe in her throat. because mm-hmm. And she's smoking a cigarette anyway. The look on her face when they walk up, she's like, what do you want? <laughs> I've had that day. <laughs> Many times. I know that feeling. Yeah. What do you want? (laughs) How about you? The thing that gets me every single fucking time. I'll move on to quotes in a minute. I mean, it is a quote. What am I thinking? Oh my God, I can't think. The thing that gets me every fucking time. It's a scene. It's a quote. And it's a fucking expression. Is when they're basically going over Beetlejuice's qualifications. What they're they're trying to get him to convince him that he is the right ghost for the job right the job interview yes so they're like he's you know he's going through a thing i went through the black plague i went to juilliard i've seen the exorcist a billion and a half times and it just keeps getting funnier every time i see it but what gets me is then when alec baldwin's like yes but are you scary and then he goes what do you think of this and then all the shit flies out of his face or whatever and then he just has this fucking look on his face and he goes you like it <laughs> Every fucking time that gets me. I love the look on his face. Every single time. It just fucking gets me. Um, I like him sitting on his tombstone and he just has this slow look toward the camera. Um, He just, it's, it's so much more about his mannerisms and his energy more than anything he really says, I guess. And he's very expressive with his face. He has such an expressive face and I think that's my thing is that ultimately it's just him I don't know that it's necessarily any quote exactly but it's just him so I'm going to ball all of my things up into that one thing of him snakes out of the face what do you think of this you like it I I just I I love it so fucking much you know the crazy thing is that we're both just blowing Michael Keaton right now (laughs) basically (laughs) 
um, but he's in this film probably less than anyone. Right. This is like, this is almost like the first Friday the 13th, or not Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger's not really in that movie. Right. But he's all over the movie, and it's the right. same thing uh, with Keaton in this one. He's really not in it that much. His screen time is limited, because the you don't, I mean, you're nearly two-thirds of the way through the movie before he really gets on screen. Uh-huh. Um, and then he just dominates the whole thing once he's there. Yeah. Through his performance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's hard not to pick, like, you just pick any random scene of Michael Keaton's in this movie, and you're like, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then, apart from that, like, like I was saying, it's just little things. Like, like one of my things that I find fucking hilarious, and it's not even that big of a deal. I just love the football players and them following the caseworker around and calling her coach. I don't know why that is so fucking funny to me, but it is. <laughs> I don't think we survived that accident. Like, I don't know why, but it's just sometimes it's not the really obvious gags that'll get you. It's it's the subtle things. And I think that's why this movie is still so effective for me is that yes, it's got its over the top goofy moments, but it also has just this really subtle dark humor too that I just find so appealing. So agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so are you gonna make this one the love of your life forever? Yeah. Marry fuck kill. Yeah. I'm I'm choose? gonna I'm gonna marry it. I am. I, and I, I know everybody at this point is like, Ashley, have you killed a movie yet? Yes, I did. I killed Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And I'm going to openly rescind that also. It's not a marry. It's a fuck. But... <laughs> no take backs, no quitsies. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I guess at this point, I don't know that I have killed anything. I, I don't I don't know. I'd have to go back and, and rethink that. But, uh... But yeah, this this is still another Mary for me. But this happens when you have somebody that just fucking loves the genre as much as I do. There's so many of them. You're like, ah, I don't think I can not watch that movie again. And and this is one of them. Like I said, the the humor is just so me and to me, it's it's a perfect film. You know? Yeah. So how about you? Oh, oh, I think we're getting we're we're getting a happily happily ever after out of this one. <laughs> I like this film. And the thing is, we hadn't watched it in a really long time until we watched it for the show. Mm-hmm. And we watched it like why do i not watch this movie more often right mm-hmm. and i think it's just because we're always tied up watching other stuff for the show right um because most of the movies that we cover ashley has seen five billion times yes and she doesn't need to watch them a whole bunch before we cover it but i need to watch him like five or six times um i a- sleep through the first five and then i watch <laughs> it on the sixth but uh we just i don't know there's not a ton of recreational watching i don't think we had this conversation yesterday on the way home from somewhere and i asked you it's like do you feel like you need to watch watch this movie again before we record and you're like yeah I think I need to probably watch it one more time and I was like see because I don't like even though it's not a movie I've seen nearly as many times as some others like Hellraiser um it's still one that I could tell you the movie start to finish in fact you had to tell me to stop doing that an hour ago so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it just made that much of an impression that I, it, it's not a hard movie to forget. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I've kind of put it in the Mary category for me, which um, just like you say, you've never killed a movie. I think I've only married a couple. Mm-hmm. There's only, there's only been a couple that I'm like, yeah, I keep this one around. Mm-hmm. But I think, and there's a certain amount of nostalgia attached to that. Yes. And I'll, I'll throw that disclaimer in there that this is sort of a movie of my childhood. And I remember thinking it was, it was hilarious and a little scary back then. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of stuck with me. But like you said, 
just said, there's so much other stuff going on in the background, sort of subtle things that you that will just catch you sort of, you know, off to the left a little bit and mm-hmm. and tickle your funny bone some uh, kind of when you're not expecting it. And there's stuff happening at the background. It's not like National Lampoon type movies uh, where there's weird shit happening in the background, but there's just so much going on on screen and the gags are solid even mm-hmm. now that this is a movie I can watch regularly and it'll still be funny to Mm -hmm. me. Now, whether that's because it's really that good or just because I have fond memories of it as a kid, I don't know, but... That reminds me. So, so we both talked, like mentioned it, but we didn't talk about it specifically. What was it when you were a kid that scared you? So... Beetlejuice scared me a little bit just him really yeah just because he was so unpredictable I think mm-hmm. and and kind of crazy but more than anything it was the faces they made mm-hmm. the the right mm-hmm. you know the two people <laughs> <laughs> When they're like stretching their faces out and when she's hanging in the closet. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's really, that's what got me. And I remember the the part where they did the, the undead wedding or whatever, where like Otho summoning them. You just stole mine. No, I didn't steal it. <laughs> Sleep with a nightlight. <laughs> that's too much top model. Um, but no, and I thought that was kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea that they could die again. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. How about you? So, so that was mine. Uh, kind of the same thing. I remember, you know, that scene where she flicks her eyeballs in, in in her head and pulls her face and all that, and the eyeballs pop out of her mouth. I remember being also really freaked out by that, um, just because I hadn't seen anything like that at the time. Um, but yes, the scene where they're being summoned in their wedding clothes and they're rotting. I remember not necessarily being scared but I remember it just feeling so sad and in it it was one of the scenes that I I remembered um kind of traumatizing me a little bit because that notion of them just kind of wasting away I think I don't know for some for whatever reason I found it very very disturbing as a little kid and yeah it it stuck with me my entire life so even now when I watch it I'm like that's so sad you know and his jaw falling off and all that like you yeah it was it was horrific when i was a kid so yeah so what are your final thoughts on Beetlejuice? I can't imagine anybody except maybe people in the younger generation who haven't seen this movie. Because obviously, I think everybody in our kind of age area has seen it. Um, but if you are a younger listener and this is one that you're like, mm, I don't know. And you kind of got that Tim Burton fatigue. Because I, I will openly admit that I think that that did happen where, you know, there were so many films in his filmography that were so good and you love that aesthetic you know there there did come a time when everybody was kind of over that shtick you know that and I'm talking kind of like in that Alice in Wonderland era um we're gonna put Johnny Depp in every single fucking lead role you know even I got to a point where I was just kind of like this just feels like kind of old hat let's see something new you know um and so I'm sure for a lot of you maybe your first Tim Burton movie was uh, Corpse Bride or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know, that kind of post-2000s era of his. But uh, I would say if you haven't explored the early catalog of the 80s and 90s um, and Beetlejuice somehow has escaped you, I would absolutely re- recommend it 100%, especially if you love that aesthetic. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody's been under a rock and they haven't seen this film. 
but it's worth it just for Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. I, I think. Just because I, I can't think of anything that he's done recently that we've seen that in any way uh, does his performance touch what he did in this one. Right. Uh, yeah, this is definitely, like, if you want to see Michael Keaton go and just balls out, this is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's worth it just for that. So, honestly, you could skip the first 20 minutes of the film <laughs> and just for, fast forward uh, until he pops up. And I wouldn't then you're good say to go from that there. necessarily. I no. wouldn't go that far. No, but I think it's, it's definitely one that once you've seen it, you kind of look back on it fondly, even if you yeah. didn't watch it as a kid. Because, uh, like, I, I mean, our kids watched it and they're kids. But, you know, it for an older movie, our kids still liked it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it still has something to offer even a younger generation. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think so. So it's definitely a watch. Yeah. All right. So moving on to what we're covering next week. I thought about this long and hard. Um, obviously, this is going to be our last film episode that we talk about before we go on our it'll be our season finale um i thought long and hard about it i've got plans for when we come back and so i was like do we end with a bang like i don't i don't know what to do here and it's hard you know trying to trying to come up with movies that you know everybody and their dog hasn't already covered but i've decided to hell with it it's our show i'm gonna cover whatever the hell i want to (laughs) cover so because we had doug bradley do the absolutely fucking coolest thing that anybody could do and we will explore that more next week um i've decided we're going to hit the next entry in the hellraiser franchise being hellbound hellraiser 2 so this one i don't know how travis feels about it this one kind of took everything that was great about that original and built upon it. It gave us more lore. It explored hell and um, what a god to them looks like. It just it just broadened everything. Is this the one, Doctor Chenard? Yes. Oh Jesus, I remember this movie. Yes, and it even upped the ante in terms of disturbing shit, if you can imagine that. Okay, so, the first one didn't have anything that made me squirm in it. Yes, this one does. <laughs> So, kind of can't wait to cover it. I was like, I was so on the fence about skipping over it and jumping right into part three. But then I was like, mm, no, let, let's let's do it. Give it its flowers and, and do part two. So, we'll see you back next week with Hellbound Hellraiser 2. But until then, I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A very special thank you to our patrons, William and Zena Rush of Original Cinematic. Gary Horton, Carissa, Kate Lamp, Karima Rhodes, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, and Renee Hunter Vasquez, John Paul Vasquez, and Travis Hunter of Podmortem. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash deadandmarried to find out how. Another special thank you to Alana Miller for composing Dead and Married's theme. You can find Alana's channel, Alana Llama, on YouTube. Check us out on X and Instagram at SpookyMom83 and TravisL80, respectively, as well as our official pages. Please consider rating and reviewing and thank you again for your support.